Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com, a legacy member of the Jittery Monkey Podcast family over at JitteryMonkey.com. Of course, proudly affiliated with the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am the Coordination Podcast Manager and one-third of the triad, the tripod, if you will, here on the, the Five Heart Podcast. My name is Greg Mahachko. We have, <laughs> we are all hands on deck. Dak, Dak, I, I was I was very careful with my vowel selection there. We're all hands on deck. Uh, we have the other two legs of the tripod here: Hoss Reuter, John Dam Johnston. It feels good to get the gang back together, Hoss. You know, it it really does. I wish that we were reconvening under better circumstances. However, well, we can only do our part. Um, yeah, and that's up to you the know, Nebraska. Yeah, we're carrying our water. Yeah, what about everyone else in Husker football. Yeah, you know we're we're doing all that's asked of us. John, uh, you were there for the post game reaction show, and uh, that got intense numerous times. Um, Did it? Oh yeah. I don't know if you You'd remember. You'd make a great clinical psychologist and marriage counseling mediator, John. <laughs> Those things together? Yes. You know what I, I – do you know what the McLaughlin group is? Vaguely rings a bell. Okay. Well, then we'll just move on then. I'd make a great marriage counselor. Yeah. You were Well, you were dealing with two very pissed off – people who were pissed and drunk – and people who were too depressed to drink, and you had the professor and Paul, and then you had the, you know, just the pra- Nebraska pragmatic wisdom of Jill, and then there was you, you know, you had quite the, uh, quite the assortment of individuals. I appreciate that. I'd I'd really like to be a marriage counselor, actually. <laughs> I Dan Johnson, marriage counselor. I, no, I, I, I wouldn't be a marriage counselor at all. Fuck that. That's a <laughs> good God. Fuck it. I'm going to go get a beer. Oh, I wish I could drink. I've got a beer. Um, Hoss, we all know what you would be drinking if you could drink beer. Uh, that's yeah. like that's like how much wood could a woodchuck chuck. How, uh, Except you, you got the picture I sent in the Slack chat room before the game when I was drinking an IPA. I did, and let me say those fuckers were eight percent, and I was eating on a kind of or drinking kind of an empty stomach during the first half. Mm-hmm. Well, is all I gotta say. It, it, it feels nice to step up to the big boy bar, doesn't it? Yeah, eleven ninety nine for a six pack was not fun, but that stuff's pretty damn good, and it's brewed over just over in La Vista, so you know, local brew. Got it. Got to support those. I'm actually uh, drinking tonight something that's quite the opposite of a, a local brew. It is uh, uh, straight from Munich. It's a Paul Inner uh, Oktoberfest Marzen, and uh, it, it's the same recipe since okay, six- Heinrich Himmler. <laughs> Whoa, let's you know. 
there were some faults. You know, people made mistakes, but but let let's not let let's keep the Germans make good beer and good cars. Let's leave it at that. Let, let's leave it at that, and and let's yeah, let's let's forget about Germany nineteen thirty to nineteen forty four, give or take. I, I I'm yeah. not the history whiz you are, uh, but anyway, speaking yeah. of speaking of uh, years that end in four since sixteen thirty four. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about this. The seekers behind uh, Paul Anner's uh, excellent taste and unwavering quality are locally sourced ingredients and a tradition of craftsmanship that's been passed down and perfected by the dedicated brewmasters since 1634 there in Munich. Uh, Paul Anner beer is not a mere product. It's a matter of the heart. So, and they have purity laws in Germany concerning beer. Sure. Uh, yes. Brewed in accordance with the Bavarian purity law using only water, malt, hops, and yeast. They have purity laws? Yeah, yeah. German beer is chemical-free. Well, fucking all of life is chemicals. Well, My God, what, what the hell does that even mean? Chemical-free. You mean, you mean that they can't have chemicals that have long names that people can't pronounce when they're drunk? Yeah, they can't have formaldehyde. Uh, took, me, <laughs> took me half a minute to uh, find about 5.8% alcohol by volume, so... And I should send you some of that cro- uh, fairy nectar by Cross Strain. You should. That stuff is really good. So he, let me ask you this. Since you're local to Omaha, we have uh, uh, on the ESPN station that I've mentioned here on the show before, uh, they picked up a sponsorship from like visitomaha.com or something like that specifically for – Oh, my God. Well, specifically for, you know, they, they talk about – Omaha's growing craft beer market. And, you know, if you go, if, if you download the app or whatever it is, and I think you go to visit omaha.com slash penny pack or something like that, you can get uh, whatever it is, you know, like go around to these various breweries and you can, you know, for a penny or, or you know, I don't know if it's buy six, get the, or buy five, get the six one for a penny, but there's some kind of something involving a penny. Uh, do you guys, I mean, does that, do you get any advertising like that? I mean, I know you're local, so it's not like you're trying to bring, you know, tourists in. But I mean, do you could you theoretically download that app, Hoss, and just go around pub to pub or, or brewery or brewery and uh, save on on your drinkings? You Maybe try, I could. But you should try that. I, I haven't heard a single one of those commercials before. Let me see if I can and, find. Uh, it. The only things that I hear are like the visit. It, visit Sarpy County and all the fun stuff to do in Sarpy County. And as a lifelong resident, well, almost lifelong resident of Sarpy County newsflash, there ain't a whole hell of a lot to do here. Uh, so here it is. Yeah. Omaha.com. All right. When you go to Omaha.com slash penny pack, it takes you to, uh, or, or visit Omaha, I should say experience.visitomaha.com. By the way, um, this episode is not sponsored by Omaha and Creighton can fuck off. Um, but uh, a penny saved is a pint earned, and now you can savor the savings. Request your free Omaha Craft Brew Penny Pack filled with buy one, get one for a penny coupons. Good at 12 featured breweries. Plus, get a free souvenir flat glass at the Omaha Visitor Center. Easy mobile redemption with instant delivery via ta- text and email. So, There ain't no shock in that. You know what I should do? I should throw I mean, on the shit, Chicago. You crack away for free, right? Crack beer. The first time no, you I give it away, then you're addicted. 
I should throw on my Chicago Bears hat I bought last time I was in Chicago and uh, act like I'm visiting from Illinois. Well, I think just you can download the app, um, and it's got 12 different breweries that are attached to it. Um, unfortunately, rest in peace, Blue Blood Brewing Company, Lincoln, uh, Nebraska. Oh, man, moment of silence. So... Um, but anyway, maybe you want to check that out, uh, beer lovers in eastern Nebraska. Maybe it's not just for tourists. I know Nebraska's not for everyone. Um, this is how fucking shitty yeah, the season for, is. This is how fucking shitty our football season is. Yeah, let's talk we about that, shall become, we? We come, we become the beer podcast, and it's still October. Well, te- yeah. technically, by let, let's let's call it what it is by the time they hear this it'll be november so it's okay oh okay <laughs> that's much better <laughs> uh let's talk about that debacle uh in lincoln last week Thirty-eight, thirty-one. i never thought i'd see the day where nebraska was on the losing side of a decision against indiana really never thought i'd see the day oh for god's sake this is the problem we have no 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 like no, no this John, is the problem that's we not have. a problem. It's like literally like Indiana's Indiana. And I went personally, I went in the course of one weekend from a general ambivalence towards the Hoosiers to a pretty healthy disdain after the shit that they pulled. And the oh, I don't disagree with that. I, I but, came uh, out of that game with a lot more hate toward the Hoosiers. I, I never would have thought that I'd hear that we'd lose to them. I mean, it's like. As bad as we were, as bad as we've been the past few years, like what's, what the fuck's Indiana done? They appear to have a decent team this season. Well, they're six and two. Um, I don't necessarily know if you know records can be deceiving. Uh, yeah, we were seven and zero. Oh. We were seven and one three years ago at this time. Wow. Yeah, that's. That's hard. And to, it's hard to go back to, to that, you know? Yeah. I'm tortured right now. <laughs> no, what, what are you so, tortured by? So let's, let's, no, let's, fact, let's take the a minute. The fact that, that we've been literally a paper tiger, and I wouldn't even call us a paper tiger anymore, but from the time the 26 season, 2016 season kicked off, when we started seven, though, we knew we were a paper tiger. We finished the year nine four. Since then, we've won a grand total of twelve games, and that's just fucking depressing. Well, let's let's take a and minute it's here. So indicative of so much that's been endemically wrong and continues to be, even though we're trying to excise the you know the ales that are plaguing us. And it's just a lot to digest. It's a lot because there's no one thing that you can point to and say. Hey, if we shore this up, we'll be fine. No, there's a whole host of shit that you got to wade through. And some of it's on an institutional level. Some of it's coaching decisions. Some of it's, you know, an athlete's issue. But there's no easy fix right now. You know, like we talked about last week, Scott Frost's seven-year contract, it really is a stark reminder of why he needed a seven-year contract to begin with because of the situation that he walked into. And, and going back to my comment about Indiana, I mean, okay, so now they're bull eligible, but here's their schedule up to and including last Saturday. Opening week win over Ball State. 
win over Eastern Illinois. My grandma and I could go in there with grandma being all-time QB and go in there and beat Eastern Illinois. Uh, they lost to Ohio State in week three by 41 points. Then they turned around and beat Connecticut. They lost by nine points to Miss, uh, Michigan State. Then they beat Rutgers. Then they beat Maryland. And then they beat us. We are, at this point, the Maryland of the West. Oh, Lord. Yeah, I accept that. I, I accept that, Randy. I, I accepted I that earlier in the season. Apparently, you fuckers are late to the process here. Either no, that or you're just like still, gone. you're still astonished. Like, like I think I said at some point, everybody's expecting the 1995 Huskers to pop up and just go on, what, what? We were just kidding. John, I was the one that said all offseason that we'd go eight and four. I was consistent about that the entire time. I said it'd be a great season. You were the one that when Wisconsin was tearing a new one on Michigan, that you were saying that, oh, we, we might be on par with Wisconsin. So don't give me that mess. Indiana's going to finish out the season eight and four because they have Northwestern, Penn State, Michigan, and Purdue left. And I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make a surprise there in, uh, in late uh, November against Michigan. I mean, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be. How uh, many? What, where are we at right for now? We're four and four. Four and four, so we could still be eight and four by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. It would take just an act of Congress against Wisconsin. Well, well it, no, it'd take an act of. It'd just take us all getting our shit together and going in the same direction. Well, there's, there's no getting our shit together defensively. Well, then I guess we'd have to get our shit together offensively, wouldn't we? Which I think last week was actually a big step in the right direction. That was one thing I was really encouraged about after the game last week was 514 yards when you're down to your third string QB and the offensive line didn't look hapless. They actually looked serviceable. Um, receivers were actually making plays. Can't have I know his touchdown catch. Mike uh, Williams catch to start the, it was pretty early in the game, I think. But a nice little post route. And we looked like we were clicking. We looked like we knew what we were doing, and that offense looked like the one we thought we were getting when Frost arrived here from UCF. All the different formations and motions and personnel changes, switch releases and the uh, route combinations, misdirection, quarterback run game. It was all there. Some trick plays mixed in. So I was really encouraged by our offensive showing against Indiana against a defense that's actually not too bad. Point of order, question Haas. Yes. Adrian Martinez came to Lincoln as an early entry, had the benefit of now two springs and two seasons, albeit injuries in both seasons. But Noah Vedrill came to Lincoln from – UCF. Do you think I'm not I'm not saying that Adrian Martinez is, you know, a slow learner. I'm not making any statements about him, but do you think that Noah Vedrill benefited from being in this system an extra year and and that's why, you know, he looked as crisp and or the offense looked as crisp as it did with him in there. I'm not saying he's better than Martinez. I'm not trying to make any comparisons. I'm just saying, do you think that the, that extra time benefited him more so than, you know, the time that Adrian Martinez has had with the staff. 
Oh, absolutely. Especially from the standpoint that Frost and this staff, and this is just my own uh, conjecture here. I'm not saying it's gospel that they do this. But when I watch our offense and the different schemes that we use week to week within the context of a spread offense and the different tweaks and adjustments, you can tell that Frost kind of employs the NFL model of game planning where they'll add stuff each week that takes advantage of what the defense is susceptible to. And I think that when you have a guy like Noah Vedral, who's been in the system, their system at two different schools, but for another year, um, for one more year than Martinez, that's a guy who's more familiar with the install process of what Frost and Verduzco and Walters are trying to implement into the game plan each week. So I think that's, I think that's a huge um, reason why he's able to kind of cut it loose a little bit more than Adrian Martinez has. You know, Adrian Martinez is a much more immensely talented player than Vedral is, but the mental processing that Vedral has is a byproduct of being in the system for another year. Like Frost always talks about guys got to be quick blinkers. They got to process information quickly. Vedral does that. And, I was really impressed with Luke McCaffrey, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John, let's talk a little bit about that. How, in your opinion, and, and look, every, if every, anybody wants the instant reactions, you know, that that took place immediately following the, the loss to Indiana, I can't recommend enough. I can't put over enough, you know, just – Hey, if you don't subscribe to the podcast, you make click one button and you're going to get all of the shows here from Coronation, but you'll also get a, a banger angs and daggers. You'll get John's post-life crisis and you're going to get those uh, fantastic post-game reaction shows. So John, uh, forgive me if I'm having you rehash here, but how much different do you foresee this game being if it was, you know, Adrian Martinez and, you know, a healthy Wandale Robinson? You know, you know. I think J.D. Spielman might have been a little bit banged up or has been a little bit banged up. But how different is the outcome of this game if you've got all your ones in there and you're not having at one point to rely on your third-string quarterback, true freshman third-string quarterback? How different is it? Well, it's just uh, probably a win for Nebraska. I mean... I don't think the offense had any part in losing this game aside from... Um, Aside from the bobbled handoff there on third and six or second and six on our last drive before we failed to convert on downs, I don't really put any blame on the offense. Now, is that the one you're talking about, the Noah Vedral kind of off his knee? or No, there we ran a little sprint uh, counter to Wandale, and the handoff was a little wonky, and uh, Wandale had to corral it and ended up getting hit for a loss. And then it was on our last drive of the game. That's right. I, I remember that now. The, although yeah. Vedral's fumble earlier but the, on didn't Vedral help. getting hit, I don't, I don't really see any issue with that beyond the fact that there was a missed block by Dedrick Mills and their DN made a play. You could have had better ball security, but you know it happened, and you gotta you gotta move on from it. And Haas, to to reiterate your point that you made just a minute ago, the for whatever reason, 
and I, I, don't, I don't know if Adrian Martinez gets so locked in on receivers, be it, you know, J.D. Spielman or especially, you know, the in recent weeks, Wandale Robinson, but Vedral just got out there and, and did what John likes to see happen. He was just slinging it. You know, Jack Stoll had a catch yeah. or two. Austin Allen got, you know, involved a little bit. You know, Mike Williams, we heard. I know they uh, at least targeted Cade Warner a little bit. J.D. Spielman had a, a couple of nice catches. Kenovainoa, uh, uh, I want to make sure I pronounce that right. Close enough? Kenovai. Kenovai, yeah. Uh, no, of course, with the touchdown and I think another reception or two. It seemed like Vedral was not necessarily locked in on any particular receiver. Now, how much of that is, you know, an opportunity to go through progressions? How much of that is an offensive line that maybe gave him a little bit of time or, you know, allowed him the opportunity to extend the play a little bit? I think it's a combination of like a little bit of time. And I think this is the one thing where you guys know I'm a big fan of Adrian Martinez. I think the sky's the limit for him. Well, we Even all are. with this season being a little bit bit rough, you know, I still think his best days are still ahead of him. But I think Adrian at times has a tendency to lock onto a guy based off of pre-snap, the pre-snap look from the coverage. And I think Vedral is more of a post-snap um, processor. You know, he processes what they're doing post-snap based on what they're doing pre-snap. So I think, I think it's just the familiarity going back to that. And, you know, Vedral knows that he's not the runner that Martinez is. And so <laughs> he's probably me. more apt to try to, you know, sling it around. Now, I, I want to go back to uh, what you just mentioned a bit ago, a minute ago about Adrian Martinez kind of locking in pre-snap versus Vedral, you know, taking a look and seeing how the defense moves after the snap. It seems to me, and this is, I feel like this is a Captain Obvious statement, but I'm going to make it anyway. The better of the two is the post-snap, you know, making adjustments, you know, checking your progressions and going through all all the reads. If if all things were equal, but you had, I mean, and I, I realize that just based on observation and stats and things like that, they're not going to be equal, but if... If both players were at the combine, Adrian Martinez and Noah Vedral, and they're both, you know, the the forty uh, yard dash is the same, the jump, all, all the measurables are the same, but in the film, you've got the guy who kind of locks in a little bit early, and the guy who, you know, sees the whole field, I guess, post snap. There's a, a it, at least to me, and again, this might be too obvious, but. If I'm a general manager, head coach of an NFL team, I know which guy I'm going to take. All other things, all the other measurables being equal. Oh, absolutely. I'm taking the guy who processes it post-snap because what they line up in pre-snap doesn't mean a whole lot once that ball snapped. They, they might spin their safeties in a different direction. They might be running a trap coverage. They might have a rat in the hole with a linebacker or DN simulating that they're going to blitz and they drop back to cover a crossing route or spy the quarterback. Um, you, you have to process it post-snap. The great ones who do are the guys who can see it post or pre-snap what they're going to do. You know, hey, they're aligned like this. 
when they do that, they're going to do this post-snap. You know, it's the anticipation. But you always want a guy who's processing what's going on once the ball is snapped. So is it Martinez just being a little bit younger? Maybe being a little bit – I mean, I think because of maybe the, the hype that surrounded him as he came into Lincoln. The guy didn't get to play a game without high fucking snaps coming his way. Well, not let me finish, damn it. No, he didn't. He got a fucked up starting center. Good God. Well, that plays into it a little bit. That plays into it a little bit, but you still got to be able to, still got to be able to make the read, you know, control. Plus, I think, honestly, I think Noah Vedral just, he didn't do any post-snap, pre-snap shit. He just said, fuck it, I'm going deep. And threw deep balls sometimes, and they worked out. That was a read. That was a post-snap read on the two verticals that, (laughs) to JD <laughs> down to the three yard line. See, John, if you, if you go back and watch snap. it, there's, it's a play action pass off of our inside zone slice play. That safety comes up a little bit. He bites on the run fake, and that's enough for JD to get behind him. And you got the corner taken care of by Canavai Noah's vertical route too. So you're running a fast break on those play on those DBs, and whoever gets the leverage downfield on the DB first. That's who the ball's going to. Oh, my God. You don't even believe in love. It's all dopamine. <laughs> I'm, I don't even know how to respond to that, John. Yeah. Yeah. See, sometimes I think they just go, ah, fuck it, going deep. So no, nothing, not, unless your name's Taylor Martinez, nothing of the sort happens like that on the football field. I used to wear out the Hail Mary on uh, Madden 95. One of those people. I, I, I didn't, I'm not, not saying I had a ton of success with it. That's just, you know, that or a See, little. I, I'm super methodical when I play Madden. Like, I was just playing it this past Friday night. I was over at a buddy's house. I just ran my four or five plays, you know, over and over again, made my adjustments based on their pre-snap alignment, and I racked up 54 points and 700 yards on the L.A. Rams. Would you say that it was like Novocaine? Just give it time, always works. <laughs> uh, so clearly, if, if the offense wasn't the issue uh, in the loss to Indiana and Barrett Pickering was back, although he missed one kick, uh, that means that there's one facet of the team that has to shoulder the burden of uh, the L. Defense did not have a strong game uh, in in a matchup that, honestly, they should have dominated. And then we got what I thought were really odd comments from Wandale Robinson after about you know some of the some of the guys not buying into Frost's system yet. I I think we spent too much time talking on the offense, so I'm but it was the positive. So I I, I, guess, I guess I wanted to highlight that. But before we go to break, we got lots more to talk about after. I just. Real quick, uh, and we'll start with you, John. What? I'm getting there. I'm, I'm about to pose okay. the question. Uh, y- you know, what is, when you look at the defensive side of the ball, biggest obstacle that they have to overcome? Go. They don't believe in their own defense. Exp- uh, elaborate. They don't. They don't have any confidence in each other. They don't have confidence that the other guys are going to do their jobs. And that's where it starts. And then we don't have a pass rush. 
you can go about scheme and fucking defense and chinander all you want, but until these guys actually like believe in themselves and trust each other, all the rest of that shit can get thrown out the window. Do you think it, it all starts with the scheme? No, it doesn't. It starts with your athletes. mentality. It, it fucking no. starts with your head. A mentality. If, you if your mentality head is in the game, the running back on a wheel route on third and seven because nobody's that's cute. And that's what I said that. earlier about you don't even believe in love. You believe in <laughs> dopamine. John, what? I'll come over there and kick your ass. This mythical toughness that people like to trumpet. Yeah, you got to be tough to play football. It's an inherently tough sport. But you have to be put into a position to succeed. And that is your pre-snap alignment and your post-snap assignment on the defensive side of the ball. That is being taught the skills necessary to get off a block, how to properly execute a coverage assignment, how to tackle. And then you have to be athletic. And that's one part that there's a genetic potential to everybody. And there's not an amount of weights that you can lift to break through your genetic potential. Unless you're a freak like Chase Young at Ohio State or someone like that, you're going to be limited to an extent on what you can do on a football field. So that is a defensive coordinator's job to put a player into position to succeed. The schemes are broken. The schemes are the defensive schemes we have are nonsensical. I want to. I, I'm not trying to change the topic i'm actually trying to go back uh john you said that you know the the guys don't believe in each other i think it was a tweet from fabian washington who you know needs no introduction um and he said that you know when he's watching the game or or at least the indiana game and he's watching the defense pre-snap he says they're not communicating they're not pointing things out is that the mentality of I've got to do this because I don't trust this guy or this guy's not going to be able to make that play. So I, instead of communicating, I'm going to, just going to have to try to do this myself. Do you think that the lack of communication is a result of not trusting or vice versa, John? I think they don't know what they're doing. Which will go back yes, to scheme. Yeah. No, I, I, it doesn't go back to scheme. It goes back to are these guys actually taking the time to figure out what the fuck they're supposed to be doing in the first place? That's scheme. Okay, good. That you know what? It isn't scheme. It's like saying, here's a physics class, here's what you gotta learn in physics. You didn't even bother learning in physics. Oh, let's fucking blame physics. Well, here's the thing. The scheme is implemented, it is designed and implemented by a defensive coordinator who has schemes that don't work. They're structurally unsound. So, we get out leveraged so because of that, our guys the on the we field don't have don't a plan talk. to defend the middle of the field. We don't. I can't even recall a single time that we ran a zone blitz under this staff when that's exactly what would have helped us in that moment. And you guys know I don't. I don't armchair OC or DC. I don't try to do that. I try to just say, "This is what we were doing. This is why it worked. This is why it didn't work." These schemes, you're not going to stop anybody when you don't have a player aligned to match a receiver to that side. Indiana ran a wheel route on third and seven to convert late in the game to extend one of their scoring drives. We didn't have a linebacker to that side that covered him out of the backfield. And it wasn't because of a busted assignment or anything. It was because there simply wasn't somebody in position aligned 
to that side to do so. I, I encourage, and, and I can't put it over enough. I'm going to keep trying, uh, but go back and listen to the post-game overreaction Indiana edition that John hosted uh, with a, a, bull, a, a ton of our, our fantastic coronation uh, staff. But Paul Dalen made a really compelling argument about why a certain defensive coordinator might have not quite seven years in Lincoln like his head coach, um, or perhaps why he shouldn't have. And uh, I'm not, it's not my place to, to call for firings. That, that's, you know, I, I don't, everybody out there is getting paid more than me and they're, you know, smarter than me. So I'm not trying to do that. But what I do want to ask you guys is as long as Eric Chenander remains on the staff, be it, through the end of this year, you know, regular season, if things go poorly, if if the offense is putting up 45 points a game and defense is allowing 52, you know, 45 should win you most games. So, and again, Paul goes into discussion about, you know, kind of the defensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator history that Eric Chenander has, but as long as he remains on Scott Frost's staff is Frost. I don't want to use the word legacy because he's only in his fourth year as a head coach, but is his success tied to, you know, like is, is he, what am I trying to say? Is he maybe hitching up, you know, his wagon to the wrong horse? You know what I'm saying? Is, or, or not wrong horse, but, but to a horse that might not get him where he needs to go. Uh, John, I'll let you take this, then Haas, and then we'll take a timeout. We don't know that. It's way early in this process. You can speculate about all that all you want. We're not winning as many games. We don't look very good. We're finding every fucking thing we can. Oh, my God, they're using plastic straws in the training table, and the world is fucked up, and we're all going to die. No, I'm not. You know what I mean? I, they, I, the I, guy I, could very well come up in the next two years, and maybe, maybe Chin Anders' defense isn't working out. The idea that he's going to be gone someday, maybe that'll happen, maybe it won't. Uh, right now, way too early in this process. And I, I guess maybe I'm, I didn't phrase the, the question. No, as, that's it. As that's good as I should answer. have. It is way too early in this process. So I don't they don't even so have really. their own freaking players in place, most of them. I don't think it's too early. We don't do any. We don't well, do fire. Call fire. call Scott tonight. Let's call Scott and talk him through the process. He can fire one of his best buddies, and we'll see what happens. See, this is what I hate when you get into conversations about firing coordinators. Suddenly, it becomes this: um, we know if we know so much more, why aren't they doing it? And it's one of those things where personal relationships complicate matters. Whether it's your best friend is your defensive coordinator, or you know, you work closely with someone for so long that you have a you know working relationship with them. People, especially in football, trust the process, and sometimes they can't see the forest for the trees. And I'm not saying that Scott Frost can't see the forest for the trees. I'm just using that to illustrate my example. But right now, we struggle with pretty much everything defensively the simple stuff being a defensive coordinator is a hard job don't make it harder on yourself 
we don't recognize okay, can formations. I, can I ask you a question? What, once I'm done, you can. Oh, we don't, okay. We don't recognize formations very well. We don't align properly to those formations. We don't adjust properly. We had Muhammad Barry playing cornerback on third and seven against an outside a receiver aligned outside the numbers in a man coverage check. We're asking players to do stuff that they can't do. That's one of the hallmarks of coaching. You don't put players in a position where they can't succeed. You put them in a position where they can succeed. Okay, John, I think we're ready for your question. Yeah, what's your question? I completely fucking forgot what it was. <laughs> oh, I know what it was. Um, hey, how many people in the coaching profession don't know each other at the, at the FBS level? How many total uh, coaches do you think there are at the top level of college football? Total. I guess I don't really understand the context of your question. All right, so okay, how, what, how what, many what? cardiologists are there in America? How many accountants are there in America? How many project managers are there in America? And then how many Division One A football coaches are there in America at any position? There are 130 teams uh, consisting of nine to ten coaches apiece. That's about 1,300 coaches. Let's yeah. say over 10 years, let's expand it to 10,000 people. That is not a very big population. So when we go through this thing and we say, well, he hired his buddy, well, everybody in the fucking coaching profession is pretty much somebody else's buddy. That's the the thing that always bothers me about that stuff. He hired his buddies. No, he hired a group of people that he knew would work together when he made the transition to Nebraska, and he knew it was going to be a tough transition. Because I'm not argue, I'm not arguing with you on that because you're spot on, you know, he he hired guys that he knew, but at this point through 20 games of the Frost era, there's been no defensive progress, none. That's is true. And part of that is because these guys are mentally off the off the reservation. That's so, what uh, I'm. At, at some point, you're either coaching it or you're allowing it to happen. You need to be a better, you need to be a better teacher of technique and fundamentals. You need to find a way to get through to guys. It's just like the teaching profession. If you have to vary your instructional strategies for different learning styles, then you have to do it. PJ Fleck, when he had an interview with Greg Sharp before kickoff of the Nebraska Minnesota game, he talked about how when he fired his DC last year and promoted Joe Rossi to the position. The reason why he did it was because he was such an excellent teacher. And with having 50, 60 guys on his side of the ball, he knew how to teach to their learning styles. So at some point, there's some disconnect where it's not working. The schemes don't help matters when they're nonsensical and structurally unsound. But at some point, the teaching of what you are trying to teach comes into question. We have had, best as I can describe, an explosive first half of the show. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. Motherfuckers. And explosive what, like the diarrhea that Greg is going to get from that fancy beer. No, nah, this fancy beer is treating me all right. Uh, when we come back, hopefully a few less fireworks and uh, more quality. I don't know why. I don't know. We're, we're bound to get you fired up about something. 
You're you're bound and determined to yell me out right off the show. Goddamn right. <laughs> well, John might fire us all. So <sighs> I hope not. John, you're not gonna fire me, right? No. Yeah, see, you're not gonna fire Hoss, are you? Well, I'm thinking about his schemes are bad. Well, come on, man. <laughs> just just watch it. You, you, you'll see what I'm talking about. We, okay. We have to take a time out, everybody. We, Are oh, we going to break? Yes. We, As they say in the big leagues, we owe you a station break. We'll be right back in two and two. Welcome back to the Five Heart Podcast. Greg Mahochko, Hoss Reuter, John Dam Johnston, and I feel like I'm Judge Mills Lane and... In, in my referee attire, and I've got in one corner Hoss Reuter, and in the other corner John Dam Johnston, and I feel like you know we're getting ready for the next round. Uh, guys, you, are you gonna are you gonna play fair in in this round and no no hitting below I, the belt and and uh, I think we've been playing pretty fair, yeah. John. I mean, we're having just a good rigorous debate. Yeah, uh, it's a good rigorous debate. Greg, you pansy ass. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I mean, if we, if we were if we were doing this in person, you know, we'd get done, you know, bitching at each other about what we believe in, then we, you know, belly up to the bar and each have ourselves a cold beer. No, we do shots. Oh yeah, old Jameson. Oh, is that it? Oh, yeah. I was That's thinking not- of one of those flaming things that burns your mustache right off because you don't. Realize it's flaming because you're already wasted by the time somebody gives it to you. Anyway, I've never done this, by the way. So I, I want to uh, ask one more question related to defense, and then we're going to move quickly to the other side of the ball, and then we're going to move on to another topic altogether. But, Haas, you said in, in your uh, closing arguments there that technique is one thing, but uh, you know, being able to teach it is another if you have a very basic, I mean, how, how do I own it? I'm trying to oversimplify the question. Let me just ask it. If you have, what, what's more important, the technique or the ability to teach it? If you're one guy and you can't, you know, like, you know, uh, sublet or outsource the job of teaching. The ability to teach it. Um, breaking it down into portions that people of any different learning style can understand and varying your instruction. It's key. Um, it's just like the new England Patriots. They vary their game plans and their schemes so much week to week, but it doesn't matter because of how effectively that they teach blocking and tackling. We, we, we don't mention that team on the show. Didn't you hear? I'm wearing one of their shirts right now. Oh God. Ugly. Uh, although kudos to uh, Rex Burkhead, I, I saw this uh, uh, picture or video. He was Mister Incredible uh, for Halloween, or going as Mister Incredible, and his little son was uh, the little Incredibles baby, Jack Jack. So um, I always like that Rex Burkhead, good guy. Um, real quick, uh, in the post game overreaction episode, Paul mentioned that uh, uh, what the team needs is mature senior offensive lineman. And mm-hmm. while right now, at least as a unit, they're you know, they're not the certainly not the pipeline and they're growing 
you know, having the growing pains, but they're all a lot of underclassmen. So in a couple of years, we can have those, you know, big 10, you know, upperclassmen offensive linemen because you got, yeah, you've got, you know, a true freshman, Cam Jurgens as a center. You've got, you, you know, you've got some underclassmen next to him. And I think the, uh, uh, only senior, correct me if I'm wrong, Haas, is uh, Hymas? Uh, hi, no, Hymas is a junior right now. Okay. We don't have any seniors. So we've I got. Mean, we don't have any senior linemen that are playing, I don't think. So we have the ability, with a little bit of patience, and I know that's tough for Husker fans and myself included, but we do have the ability to grow into an offensive line. And I think, Haas, we've talked about that before. It's just, you know, it's not going to be this year, but they're going to get bigger, stronger, and more cohesive in the years to come. Yeah, and I think you saw the offensive line take a step forward against Indiana. Um, There are a few stupid procedural penalties, but I thought all in all they played pretty well. And... Just need to develop for another year in the weight room and in practice. And hopefully, you know, that can become more experienced unit. Paul's not kidding when he says we need senior offensive linemen. And Frost has iterated that saying, you know, the Big Ten Conference is a grown-ass man's league. You got to have, you know, physically matured offensive linemen in your starting five. The one position that I don't know if age is really going to make a difference be Brendan Hymas at left tackle I think he's a good left tackle but he's got a little bit too much finesse to his game um, he's kind of your typical spread offense left tackle you know moves well in space but if you notice we don't really go behind that left side in you know do or die situations right well let's move on and talk we, about we have two senior offensive linemen, Nick Verka and Christian Gaylord. Gaylord's out for the year. Right. Well, let's let's talk about something that does relate to and affects Nebraska, but big picture it's you know, it, it's it's you know, nationwide, NCAA wide, and that is the I mean, we never really even addressed it on the show a couple of weeks back when California, uh, you know, put together some legislation. Uh, John, you happen to remember that number that as was SB two hundred six, the Death Star of uh, yes, yeah, uh, which you know, granted at, at the time California schools to allow uh, their student athletes to uh, you know use their name, image, likeness uh, for you know, monetary gains. And since then, in fact, I think we learned just today that the NCAA, John, walk me through this, the specifics of this, but the NCAA has, is going to allow this now to happen. Oh, okay. California's passed a law called the SB 206 that doesn't go into effect until 2023. So it's obviously a few years away. But the emphasis of it, of it was specifically that athletes could not be punished if they actually sold their name and image and likeness rights. 
with stipulations. For example, they couldn't actually do a contract with somebody if the school already had a contract in place. Like so what like, happened let, yesterday let's say, with the NCAA is they released this statement that they're going to start uh, working on rules that will allow for college athletes to use their name, image, likeness to to make money as long as it is in begin quote in a manner consistent with a collegiate model end quote. So. Did they really do anything? No, they didn't really do anything at all. But uh, what they did was they they at least made an, a statement about it and acknowledged that it's a thing that could exist. And uh, that's where we're going to go. I, by the way, I, I spent uh, a month in my work truck with somebody else, you know, riding with me. So in, in order to not subject them to, you know, to stuff that, I like to listen to, I think we just listen to the radio. So I've been playing catch up on my podcast. So one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this specifically, you know, tonight, uh, aside from the news that John, you just shared with us about the NCAA's decision was because I just listened uh, today to your episode from a few weeks ago with Matt Brown, SB nations, Matt Brown, technically, I think you, John, you've mentioned he's your, your boss in SB nation. Um, but he, you guys had a really great discussion about that on John's post-life crisis from a few weeks back. I encourage everybody to go back, check it out. Um, and there, I think you had the quote, you were quoting your stepbrother that says, the older you get, the more, I'm, I'm not going to get it right, but it's, it the, was my, it was my brother-in-law that you said, I, the, the older you get, the more you don't like rebels. That's right. My, my mistake. I, 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 I Meant brother-in-law, I said stepbrother. Uh, and and Matt made the comment of, uh, uh, you know, there being like a generational divide where if you're over 40, you tend to be you know, like, I don't know if players should get paid. And if you're under 40, you know, you're like, oh, well, what's the harm? Um, where do you guys each stand on on like the, the compensation factor for student athletes? And we'll start with you, Haas. Um, I think that they should be compensated. Uh, I haven't really read too much into this legislation because I've been busy basically the past two months. But um, they're they have an un, they possess an uncommon commodity in economics. You know, people who possess an uncommon commodity get paid. You know what what the market bears out for it. So college football players, college athletes, they should be no different. They should be able to profit off of their likeness. And it's been too too damn long that the NCAA has tried to trumpet this whole amateurism bullshit. John? Well, that's, that's where it is, though. See, the thing is, is that what people think this is and probably what it's going to be are going to be two completely different universes. Because from the NCAA standpoint, uh, the last thing that they want to do is see any kind of legislation or any kind of rules passed that might construe athletes as employees. Because the moment they do that, uh, college athletics as we know it ceases to exist. And that's actually probably a bad thing. You think, oh, gosh, they should have all this freedom. Well, the moment that that happens, that means the players uh, will have to be paid wages and overtime, and they will probably have to pay taxes on that. And literally all of college athletics will be over that we know. 
So that's probably not going to happen with this. Now, the problem with this is, is this. Uh, this is actually an extremely complex subject, and I would really love to talk to a lawyer who could walk us through the process of what needs to happen, because this is going to be about five years, probably before they even come up with anything. And then after they come up with stuff, they're going to have to sue their way through the process for another five years before any of it becomes a reality. So this is way off in the distance yet. You know, the fact that it's being talked about now, this is like an eight-team playoff, okay? People want to keep going, well, there's got to be eight teams because it's fair. Well, that ain't happening for a long time because there's contracts in place, and you can whine about unfairness a lot, but that's what it is. You know what I mean? No, it's I got just, you. What? It's, it's going to take a very long time to get from here to there. And it's going to take a very long time because you have two really – well, three really horribly nasty things, possibly the worst things in the universe to ever deal with. You have A, a bureaucracy, the NCAA. B, you have uh, lawyers. And then three, you have politicians. Now, if you took all three of those things and stirred them up and put them into a pot, that would kill literally like one drop of that, kill all of humanity. <laughs> Ingested in the air, I don't care what it is, kill all of humanity, kill everything on this earth. Much worse than climate change. You know what I mean? There you go. All right, so let's keep going down the rabbit hole. Uh, what about the – now, look, it, as far as, you, you know, like everybody getting paid, as you said, John, that's a very long ordeal. However, endorsements, as you and Matt discussed, is much more uh, – and I don't want to say rapidly approaching. I don't know if feasible is the right word. No, but it isn't. It isn't. It is not. All of this stuff is together. Well, and okay, again, but what you're trying to do is is rules that apply to three levels, you know, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three of college athletics, because the NCAA is going to be involved in this, and they're not just going to let like go. Oh yeah, well you can endorse stuff next year. They're not going to do that. Ooh. Again, it's going to go back to lawyers and politicians and bureaucracy. So None of this will happen for a while. So None of it. Let me be the devil's advocate. I'm good at that. What about the group of people who, who say, in a manner of speaking, they're already getting paid because they're getting a free education? Well, we call that compensation. And as somebody who has children who have to pay for college, you know, I, I understand that viewpoint. I mean, when you look at those kids, uh, you know, they're certainly having to pay a gobs of money. Here's something interesting that I never knew happened. But uh, my kids tell me that other kids cry during tests, literally cry. Wow. I mean, I fell yeah. asleep during a biology test once in college, but I woke up and finished it. I didn't cry. I mean, I've been to the point where I was about ready just to, you know, start throwing chairs because I've been so frustrated, but never, never tears. You think it's because, okay. John, we, we have too many snowflakes in, in uh, our uh, educational system? No, I think it's because <laughs> if you're taking an applied math course and you realize you're not going to pass it, you just blew five grand. Well, you know what? Get tough. Well, you get the idea, though. I mean, right. I can see the standpoint that some people think they're being compensated. Then you have all this other stuff that say, well, 
you know, you have, we just announced a $155 million expansion that probably is going to be some Taj Mahal thing. What the hell? A dime and a really single dime doesn't come from the university itself. It, it doesn't matter, Foundation. but... It comes let from me, the athletic department, it comes from boosters. I get that. It doesn't matter. Let's say that this yeah, stuff... Yeah, it does. Facts are facts. If this stuff goes into place, that money can go directly... Football thinks that their money's going to it. The reality is their money's not going to it. Okay, I'm talking about players. I'm not talking about what fans think. Oh, sorry. My mistake. Okay. What, for example, I spoke I, – one of my interviews was with Kenny Bell, and one of the things he pointed out was when they got to the NFL, those guys don't have as nice of facilities as they do in college a lot of the times. And I said, well, I always thought that they did. What his response was is they don't need those nice facilities because the players are paid. In other words, they get a paycheck. They don't come in. They don't come in and have to have like a bidet for a toilet or video games all over the place. You know what I mean? They can actually afford their nice houses that they can go live in and not have to go back to some shitty offsite campus building where they're shared with eight other guys in a crappy house. You understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. So a lot of this stuff, I I would think that one of the first things you would see that if this actually passes is. Uh, the schools stop building Taj Mahal facilities because boosters will start sending that money more directly to the players. Cut but again, the this stuff, this stuff's a long ways off. But I think it's important to, you know, discuss it. Um, I do. I, I remember going back to, you know, what you said a few minutes ago, John, about, you know, like kids in college who were, you know, in tears because they you know, might not pass a test. Uh, and, and you say, you know, they fail the test and they're out, you know, five grand. I remember, so like I went to public high school and, you know, I had almost perfect attendance and I don't say that to brag. It's just, I didn't have anything better to do and I wasn't cool enough to skip class like, you know, other people in my grade. So I just went to school all the time. Uh, and then I went to community college where I had to pay for it. And I know, like, I didn't never understood the mentality of I'm going to skip class, you know, be it over, you know, oversleep, miss my alarm, go have lunch, go take a nap, miss my two o'clock class, things like that. I never understood that mentality because then you're paying for it. So to an extent, I, I agree, or I, I, not, I agree, I see where, you know, the, the kids that you mentioned in your example are coming from because, you don't want to be throwing that money down the toilet. Like college is not expensive or it's not cheap and very expensive. Um, which that's a whole another discussion for another podcast with people smarter than me on it. But when you take into account, you know, the, the cost of one year of, you know, higher education, one year of college at a school, like Nebraska, I don't know what one-year tuition is. Um, Haas, you'd have a better idea because you're kind of in the system, but you know whatever that about number. Nine. Is. Uh, mine's about nine grand at UNO. Okay, um, and that's, but, I, well, I mean that's maybe a different. I don't, I don't know because your stuff anyway. Uh, whatever it is for, you know, a freshman out of high school to to go to UNL. And they are not athletically inclined. They're just like, well, I'm going to go be a 
botanist, but I don't have any scholarships. I don't. I'm gonna have to take out this loan. You take that money, or, or you know that that number, that figure, whatever it is, and you say, well, you know, this student athlete is going to get relatively the same classes, or, or you know, maybe not the same classes, but you know, he's going to get a year of education for free. You know, like it, it, it almost feels if I'm looking 90, at 90,000 people ain't showing up to watch them take a botany exam. Well, I understand that. And I understand the amount of uh, money that, you know, the football program makes. So I'm, I'm not, I, I, I get it. And, and there is some, you know, not some, there is, you know, noticeable value in, you know, and look, I'm not for or against. Like I said, I'm playing devil's advocate because at the end of the day, really, you know, I had a boss once talking politics and he's like, it doesn't matter who's in the White House as long as I got, you know, I'm able to put food on my table, you know. So a lot of this doesn't affect me directly. I'm just, you know, and I think Matt said it best is if, you know, how, how does – you know, a, a student athlete, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kid, you know, I, as the example that he used was, you know, making an endorsement for an area car dealership, you know, running in there, you know, saying, hi, this is so-and-so for Baxter Dodge, whatever. Um, you know, how, how, do, how does that lessen your enjoyment, your, you know, whatever as a fan – I don't think it will. Not, I mean, for me, it shouldn't. And John, like you said, we're years off from this uh, being implemented anyway. But I just wonder, you know, there there's some compensation in place already, you know, so that these athletes can come from, you know, a, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times less than ideal means. But they're able to get an education and, you know, play the sport of their dreams in hopes of going to the next level. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling now, but I hope you guys – you know, we're able to follow it somewhat. I'll just say one more thing. I I would not mind the the NCAA football game coming back either, but that will be a very long time away. And I'm I'm sorry. You will have to keep playing NCAA 2014 with Taylor <laughs> Martinez as your starting quarterback. Sorry, Rick. And just you go there and uh, and uh, there you go. Well, you can create a player by now, can't you? I mean, you can still create a player in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So instead of number three, you got number two. So um, that's really all I had for more. And this is going to, as John alluded, uh, this is going to unfold over probably several years. Lots more conversations that we can have. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, in the future, John will be able to speak with some attorney uh, who maybe if they're not at least directly, you know, in, involved in this, they're uh, tangentially aware or, or, you know, practice some kind of, you know, likeness or copyright law or however the hell that works, uh, uh, comp- compensation law. I don't, I don't even know the right words. Nate would know that. Um, but anyway, we'll keep following this. We'll, we'll keep you posted. And, and when we're doing this uh, show in October of 2029, we'll be like, hey, Guess what? Are you ready? I'm ready because NCAA football 2030 is on the way. Right? Right? Yeah. 
if I'm still I'll around. I'll be in a bad mood during that show because I'll be pushing like 39 years old. If it makes you feel any better, I'll be 47. Oh, God, that's terrible. He's, listen to you guys. John will be long since 39. I mean, my God, a 39-year-old Haas Reuter will be the most dis- horrifyingly angry person in the planet. <laughs> yeah, I'll, be, I'll probably be squatting 550 pounds by then, so it'll be all good. I hope so. I uh, just randomly, I had a water delivery today to a residential customer and usually takes eight or nine uh, jugs of water. And he says, he's like, well, better make it 12 this month. I've got a competition coming up and my nutritionist wants me drinking uh, two gallons of water a day. And I was like, the faucet, bro. I was like, I don't know what kind of competition that is, but all right, buddy. I mean, if that's a peeing competition, I mean, you drink, you know, six pack of beer will get you a lot further than drinking two gallons of water, in my opinion. But uh, speaking of uh, my my laptop is literally dying, and I don't have my charger. You don't what? You don't have your blue chew with you. <laughs> I think we just lost him, John, honestly. I know. No, we now didn't. I'm going to abuse him. I think that's what he said as he went away. What was he, he his his final horror thing that would be he'd be old and 39 and have to have blue chew and he wouldn't have any? Is that what he was saying? <laughs> Whatever you want him to say. <laughs> no, that was it. <laughs> well, uh, that leaves just you and me then, John, to finish up this episode and talk a little bit about Purdue. Uh, but I, he did just text me. The uh, prediction that, that he left for uh, for Nebraska Purdue. So uh, both teams. I chased teams- him off. That's what happened. He turned into a wiener. <laughs> That'd be a awful lot of blue chew. Never mind. I wouldn't uh, even. <laughs> I wasn't even. I wasn't even nasty. This segment. No, no, you were fine. You both did great. You know, he said he texted me. He said my laptop died and I don't have my charger. And then he left the score, which we'll save that for just a, a few minutes from now. Uh, but this show is uh, uh, feeling like it's going on forever. So, uh, any, I mean, Purdue just got boat raced by Illinois. So I don't really know what to think of this Purdue team. Um, they, you know, they played Minnesota better than we did. Uh, of course, we don't. You know, up to between them and Illinois, those are the only two teams that you know we we have as like opponents. Uh, they beat Vanderbilt. They lost to Nevada. They lost to TCU. Uh, they lost to Penn State. So was everybody else. The Penn State's played. They lost a close one to Iowa, but they got just housed at home against Illinois last week, twenty-four to six. And uh, I don't think that it was necessarily that close of a game. Um, they're both teams are dealing with injuries, John, uh, and uh, it be interesting to see Wandale Robinson on one side, Rondale Moore on the other. Who you know could be if Moore's healthy, who could be you know the more dynamic asset to the team. Uh, tell me a little bit. I, I mean, well, we go ahead. Rondale Moore isn't going to be there. Oh, okay. Never mind. I would say this. Uh, we got Illinois at the right time because Illinois is just now coming around to figure out how to play football. I agree. Uh, I if, I don't think this game this game is going to come down to if our defense looks like they did against Indiana because we made their backup quarterback. I mean, he was a good 
he was a good quarterback, a decent quarterback. He wasn't really a backup because he had like three years of experience in the program. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, he he was an experienced quarterback. We made him look like Joe Montana, for God's sakes. Well, let's not get carried away. Joe Montana is well, a Hall of Famer. We did. I mean, literally, at one point I tweeted. Maybe like. If they didn't make it on third and seven, they might as well go on fourth and seven because we can't stop at third and seven. And they went ahead and did both. And they picked up a fourth and seven. I mean, if our defense plays like that against Purdue, we're going to lose this game. We need to win this game. We expect to go to a bull. And we really need to go to a bull. We need to go to a bull so that we feel good about ourselves this offseason. Or at least we feel not as shitty as having another four and eight season. Because I don't want to go through that again. Neither do I. Because right now people are people are upset that they feel like the media and Scott Frost and everybody hyped them all up. And now we don't have a good football team. And I can't imagine what next offseason is going to be like if we have to live through God knows how many months of that. Even if just just making a bowl game would be beneficial, win or lose, you know the outcome. Just just showing that progress, like you know, being four and eight is, is you know two years in a row. You have to progress from there. Five and seven, I don't think is gonna you know keep the wolves at bay. But making a bowl game will you know be like oh that is record that, that that's a that's like achieve, achievement unlocked for all you video gamers out there that is okay we did something we haven't done in a while we did something for the first time under Scott Frost it's not like we you know petered out at the end like you know well we didn't really peter out at the end last year we we just petered out at the beginning um but yeah making a bowl game is going to be huge and the opportunities that you've got Purdue, you've got Maryland, and in between those, well, not in between those, but you, you still got Wisconsin and Iowa to deal with. Um, but the opportunity is there. I was going to uh, say, you know, the Indiana quarterback, you, you wanted to compare him with Joe Montana. I wasn't ready to do that. I'd be like, eh, maybe Joe Flacco. Um, but, uh, yeah, Nebraska Purdue. Let's let's just jump right into uh, predictions. And John, I'm gonna let you take it away. Well, they're missing their starting quarterback and Elijah Sindelar. But again, if we play like poop, like we did against Indiana, is it going to make any difference? Well, they're also. I do think that our. What's that? I was going to say, as you mentioned, Rondale Moore, and then their big uh, nasty nose tackle is still out as well. Uh, I can't okay. remember. I, Lorenzo Neal, I believe. See, and I, did, I don't think that I, Lorenzo. Okay, uh, I don't think that uh, our off, our offense shouldn't have problems uh, scoring for you know scoring against Purdue. You know, obviously we have turnover problems. We continue to have turnover problems, and the turnovers in themselves are horrible. But what they do is they break the team, right? Because I mean, what you look at when we when we played against Indiana, we were click 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 move 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 move. Uh, Vedral fumbles the ball on what was a bad decision, and it, you could see some of the just guts go out of the team, you know. And if uh, if they're going to do that, then you know, I don't know. I'm going to go with 34 to, you know, 34 17 Nebraska. Well, I could. I'm, I'm going to just I'm going to just say that our defense is going to come up and play a little better. Uh, I don't know. We can talk about schemes all we want. I still think it's really more about uh, getting their shit together in their heads. And, uh, you know, I I listened to uh, 
you know, we've, we've got our friends, uh, I still call them friends, uh, over at the Big Red Cobcast who had uh, Grant Wistrom on the show this past week, and that was after the Indiana loss. Uh, but they talked to him on Sunday. And, and, again, check that show out because, you know, they're, they're friends of ours, and you get to hear from a, a legend like Grant Wistrom uh, who did a good job of talking uh, – Pat and Joe and and uh, Tweety off off the ledge a little bit and says you know it's a, a lot of it's about Jimmy's and Joe's you know uh, getting the right guys in place um, maybe maybe not necessarily the you know the five star but the guys who want to what is what was the phrase I can't remember if I saw it might have seen it in the Slack room something about uh, uh, do they love being a football player or do they love playing football. And, you know, get, get finding the guys who love playing football, you know, where it's all about leaving it all out there on the field. A- anyway, um, check out that. Well, I interviewed Jay Foreman this morning. Oh, so yeah. that'll be my next podcast. I can't wait. We're going to have that Monday morning right here on the uh, Coronation Podcast Network or Coronation One of the Radio. things he pointed out was that uh, we've dealt with years and years of individualism at Nebraska and that they they one of the biggest problems is getting them to all come together to be a team. In other words, are we all going to be together? Are we all going to do the same things? Are we all going to have confidence and trust with each other? Or are we going to, you know, like uh, I'm going to go to the NFL early kind of stuff. Right. So. No, interesting. No, I can't wait to hear it. Uh, and. In usual fashion, is I'll produce, I'll I'll uh, edit and produce and publish a show, and then I'll listen to it after it drops. So it's kind of how I like to roll. Uh, Haas says, you know, as I mentioned, his laptop died, but he says Nebraska thirty-seven, Purdue thirty-one. I I'm not too disappointed with either of those numbers, but I'm gonna say Nebraska forty-one and Purdue twenty-seven. I like it. I'd like to have a two-score game lead win. <laughs> I I think it's important because, you know, the last time it happened, and I think we mentioned this last week, but the last time it happened was Northern Illinois. And by the time they play, they, you know, they strap up against Purdue, that'll be six weeks, you know, since they had that kind of win because they barely beat Illinois. I mean, they beat Illinois and Northwestern by a combined seven points. And then they got trucked by Ohio State and Minnesota and then losing by a touchdown to Indiana. So they need a two-score conference win. And, you know, we, we only got four games left, so options are, are um, you know, we're, we're running out of opportunities, I guess I should say. Um, so we'll see how they do. It's Nebraska. It's Purdue. It's an 11 a.m. kickoff, which the Huskers haven't had since – Week one of the season, believe that or not, uh, against South Alabama. And, and that one worked out well for uh, Nebraska, winning that one 20, or 35-21. So maybe maybe they'll find a little bit of long-lost magic in that 11 o'clock time slot. We do know for sure. Or, that, or maybe that will mean that crap loads of Husker fans will be drunk by noon, horribly drunk, and all going to jail. That's possible. Either way, uh, we'll have the post-game uh, overreaction Purdue edition, win or lose, and then I'm going to go watch Joker. So I've got oh, my, I, my wife and I went to that Sunday. I, I, we'll have to talk about that after I watch a movie. How's that sound? I mean, not for okay. not for a recording, not for a uh, show, just right. just to talk. Um, okay. All right. So you'll that, probably need counseling. I, I need counseling anyway. 
Okay. <laughs> That's uh, this episode, uh, the latest episode of the Five Heart Podcast. Remember that we're on most of your favorite podcast uh, apps like uh, Apple Podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and uh, you can su- subscribe for free on any of those fine platforms. Interact with us and engage and, and converse. We love, I love talking with you during a, uh, the, the games. If you follow the show on Twitter at the number five heart podcast or at five spelled out this time heart podcast uh, on uh, Facebook, of course, at coordination and facebook.com slash coordination. And that'll do it for this episode. Thanks to a Haas Reuter who decided he just wasn't going to plug his laptop in, tired of being berated by uh, our, our founder and fearless leader, John Dam Johnston. For myself, Greg Mahashko, and my fine friends, uh, thank you. We remind you this week and every week that five heart is all the heart you need. John? What? <laughs> Go Big Red. Beat Purdue, for God's sakes. That's right. And in other words... Win the damn game. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. Jittery Monkey.